0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. I was just thinking about something a few minutes ago as we were worshiping in the context of this series. I was thinking to myself, why is it that I like war movies so much? Is it because <clears throat> I was in the Marine Corps? Maybe. Is it because I, I you know, I've thought about all of the reasons. It's not that I, uh, I, I don't thrive on the violence and all of that. Matter of fact, that's the part that I probably least like. But I remember even growing up. Uh, my father watching those movies, and he was a, he was a, a, a veteran of the Korean War and I remember watching those and, and as I just it just hit me, it just hit me just a few minutes ago why I like those movies so much and I think what I like about the movies is I like when a movie unfolds and it 's a good movie. I like the relational context of what happens in and with people that are doing combat together. I, I like the dynamic of that there 's nothing. There's nothing quite like when you are in the middle of adversity and you're in the middle of something that you've never been through or you don't know how to go through it, something that you're experiencing, and having somebody walk through that with you. And and I have some experiences in my life through the Marine Corps and, and other things where I can look back and say, I value so much that there were people to walk with me through that. So I want us to kind of just go through some things tonight, and, and as I thought about it, I've said this many times. I think the challenge for any communicator of the Word of God, you, you want to try to do at least one of these three things. Two of these th- three things would be good, and if you could do three of these three, or all three of these three in every message, I think it would be helpful, and that is to engage our emotions. Anytime we dive into God's word, we want to engage our emotions because we're emotional people. So we want to engage our emotions with the word. God made us with emotion. Jesus showed and expressed emotion. The the, the people in the Scriptures showed and expressed emotion. So we want to engage the emotions. We want to enlighten our intellect. I mean, we, we need to stimulate and enlighten our intellect. That has to happen. when we're When we're growing in the Lord and we're maturing, we have to enlighten our intellect. And then finally, we have to challenge our will. We have to challenge our will. When we go to the Word of God and we study things and read things, we have to challenge our will. I think spiritual warfare really, uh, a lot of it is about learning the rules of engagement. That, that, that's an important concept because the fact of the matter is, and I, I mentioned this three weeks ago, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but there's only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, but we live in a world that has created... Uh, uh, another universe, if you will, and I call it the magic kingdom. And, and so the truth is there's only two. People are going to heaven or hell, there's no in between. There's no purgatory, there's no, there's no graduating from hell and, and working your way back up to heaven. When you take your last breath on planet earth, you're going to be in one of two places, you're either going to be in heaven or hell, and the sooner we grab a hold of that and the sooner we declare that that's the truth, because that's what the Bible says, the better off we're going to be and the better off the world is going to be. But what has happened in our world, and I think especially in the United States of America, we live in a country where nothing is off limits to us. If we can't afford it, we'll just go get a credit card. And if, then if we can't pay for that credit card, then we'll get another credit card. And, and so we live in this world that is the magic kingdom. It's, uh, the magic kingdom is fantasy and fiction. And, and the enemy wants us to live in that world. The enemy wants us, in, in the context of spiritual warfare, to live in the magic kingdom. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's not, it, it really, ah, uh, if I don't bother the devil, he won't bother me. None of that is true. None of that is true if you understand and you study the scriptures. So part of spiritual warfare then is, is understanding the rules of engagement. I, I learned as a kid because I, I became a fighter, not proud to say that, but not, not that I was a good fighter or any of that kind of stuff. It was just more about self-preservation. But I learned something about people that liked to pick fights. People that like to pick fights generally, for the most part, lack something internally. They were either insecure or they had been bullied or something had happened that had short-circuited the hardwiring inside of them that caused them to, to react to things. It, it's the people that don't go looking and picking fights. My dad used to tell me that all the time. Those are the ones you got to be careful of. The, the Christian that is out looking for and picking fights with the devil... Is gonna have trouble. You don't need to do that. Here, here's the truth, and I'm gonna prove it to you through the Bible. Say, prove it to me. Thank you, I'm happy to do that. You have something the devil wants, he has nothing you want. He has absolutely nothing you want. There is nothing that he has to offer you. There is nothing that he has that you want, but you have something that he wants, and you have a lot of something that he wants, and he's gonna come after you for it, and he's gonna bully you, and he's gonna try to intimidate you, and he's gonna try to do anything that he can to take from you what you have. You as a Christian do not need to go looking for spiritual warfare. You don't need to go looking for a devil. You don't need to go looking for a demon to fight. If you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, it's gonna come to you, and then when it comes to you, you just stand up, you understand the rules of engagement according to the scriptures, and then you walk it out. So my prayer tonight is that we will enlighten our intellect a little bit, just enlighten our intellect. And I want to start by looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. And these are people in the Bible that were familiar with the pressures of being a follower of Jesus. Jesus is gone. When we get to Peter's epistles, Jesus is gone. He's dead, buried, rose again. Now Peter and the the other 11 are are doing life. They're building the church. They're raising up the church. And they're slowly dying. They're being martyred for their faith. And Peter says something in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 7. And I said just a minute ago, the devil is after something that you have. And let me read this to you. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless, listen to these words, a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. There is something stored up for you in heaven the devil will never, 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 ever, ever experience Anything that has to do with heaven. He was there once and he's out of there now. He cast out of heaven, never to be there again. But Peter is telling us there's something in heaven in store for you. Do you know that the enemy knows he'll never touch heaven again? He'll never experience the glory and the goodness of God again ever. He knows that. So here Peter is declaring what is in fact true for us. An inheritance that is kept in heaven pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change or decay. So that's, for, that's up there, it's waiting for me. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead even though you have to endure many, say many, many trials for a little while. These trials show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more, I underlined that, far more precious than mere gold. Just just think about the contrast. Peter is describing something that we have. (coughs) Excuse me, my wife said to me before I came to church tonight, she said, listen, if you're going to cough, I've been coughing for about 10 days now. And Sunday I was coughing at church and I wasn't covering the mic. She said, if you're gonna cough, cover the mic. So I actually practiced a couple times. So if I don't do it right, we extend some grace to me. If I cough in your ear, we you extend some grace to me. Thank you. I appreciate that. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, this contrast. Gold, the most most precious thing on planet Earth, and, and that faith is more precious. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So what is the enemy after? The enemy is after your faith. He's after your faith. He wants to do whatever he can to cripple your faith. He wants to do whatever he can to come in and sabotage what you know to be true about what the Bible says about who you are in Christ. Because the faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain. And the enemy knows that. If we have the faith of the mustard seed, we can say to the mountain, be removed, and the Bible says it has to be cast into the sea. So you have this thing that is very intimidating and very threatening to the enemy, and it's your faith. And you have many, 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 many other things that are intimidating to the enemy. You have the testimony of your life. You have the blood of the Lamb. You have amazing things that are part of who you are as a follower of Christ that are incredibly intimidating for the enemy. So the enemy is going to come after you to try to intimidate you, to try to bully you, and try to get you to shrink back because you have something that's more precious than mere gold. So I want to talk a little bit tonight about the rules of engagement because there needs to be an understanding in the life and in the minds of believers because we are constantly... I want you to think about something for just a minute. I want you to think about Jesus for a minute. When the Bible says in Matthew chapter 4 that he was led into the wilderness... The wilderness was the place where the enemy was because the Bible says Jesus was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness, in other words, where the enemy was to be tempted of the devil. And then there's a couple places in Matthew chapter 4 where the Bible says that Jesus, that the devil took Jesus to a place. The devil took Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus could have stopped it at any time. But but there's this picture of the enemy coming in and taking us or trying to take us somewhere. And, and so I want you to think about this for just a minute. Part of the understanding um, when it comes to spiritual warfare is not only the rules of engagement, but the importance of getting behind enemy lines. The most damage <clears throat> is going to be done to the enemy when you get behind enemy lines, and he knows that. And what I mean by that is... to, To get behind enemy lines is to understand what the Scripture says about who we are in Christ. The most intimidating thing for the enemy is that if you get behind their front lines. Because if you get behind their front lines, then you can begin to wreak havoc on them in small places, and it can do large things. When I got to Hawaii in 1980, I said I want to go to recon training. I thought, I want to be a Marine, but I want to be the best of the best. And I remember standing in front of the battalion commander and saying, I want to be in force recon. And he asked me why. I'm 19 years old. Just turned 19 the day I got to Hawaii. May 4th, 1980 was the day that I got there. And, and, then, and then I remember going through that training. It was the most horrific thing. It, it was so much worse than boot camp. Ten times worse than boot camp. Ten times worse than infantry training school. And it was all because that special unit was designed to get behind enemy lines. Do you know that when we get behind enemy lines as followers of Christ and soldiers in the army of God, we do a number on the enemy's ranks. And so it's not an accident that we are able to read that Jesus was behind enemy lines. He was in the wilderness. He allowed the enemy to take him to certain locations, but in every one of those locations where the enemy led him, Jesus was successful. So I want us to talk tonight for just a few minutes, uh, and and I have a question on your outline, and I want to read it to you, and then I'm going to dive into this. What would be a good tactic of the enemy to defeat us? I mean, if you're trying to defeat your enemy, you would want to know a good tactic, Take something that God uses to strengthen us and then pervert it into which the enemy can use to trap us. And so I want us to, in the context of spiritual warfare, I want us to just glean a little bit of an understanding tonight about the difference between trials and temptations. Because trials are from God and they are meant to strengthen us. Temptation is from the enemy and it's meant to defeat us. So if those two things sometimes look similar, There are probably times in our lives when we've been going through a trial and we've said, Man, the devil is doing a number on me. And the fact of the matter is, it wasn't the devil. It was a trial. We just read about that. These trials, these things that come from God, these things that come from God show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. And your faith is more precious than mere gold. I see great confusion. In people, from time to time. The difference between trials and temptation. So we're going to talk about that. And let me just say this as we dive in. Neither is avoidable. You are not going to avoid trials. If you do, you're just going to prolong something that God is not going to allow you to miss out on. He loves you way too much. He loves you way too much to not have you go through what you must go through to see that your faith is purified. So we could prolong it, but we're going to go through it. Temptations are unavoidable. Jesus was tempted. Perfect. No sin in his life, and he was tempted. So both are unavoidable. So if they're both unavoidable, that means we're going to have to experience them. So if we're going to have to experience them, then it would be helpful to know what to do when we experience them. Would you agree? Say, I agree. I need to keep you engaged because you might be thinking about the debate, you might be thinking about dinner, you might be thinking about Dairy Queen. So do we agree? <laughs> I didn't mean to plant something in your mind, but I like ice cream and it would feel good on my throat about right now. Okay, so here we go. Trials, are you with me? See that bullet point on your outline? Trials are the tool that God uses to develop and to strengthen our faith. That's what a trial is. Trials are the tool that God uses to develop and strengthen Our faith. On the other hand, temptation is the trap the enemy uses to lure us. Sometimes these things look so similar, it is hard to distinguish between the two of them. Is this a trial that I'm going through because God is purifying my faith? Is this a trial that I am experiencing because God is bringing me to another level? Or because God is entrusting me with something? Or is this a temptation from the enemy? This is what I'm talking about when I'm, I'm saying rules of engagement. We have to understand because if you're, if you're going through a trial and you approach it like it's a temptation, you're going to get it wrong. If you're being tempted and you call it a trial, you're going to get it wrong. So we have to have an understanding of that. So <clears throat> here's the definition of trial, and there's probably more than this, but this one is on your outline. The means by which the presence, the quality, or the genuineness of anything is determined. I mean, that's what you do with these. That's what they're talking about the fire, the fire that purifies. We're talking about the potter and the clay and the clay that gets put into the oven and gets tested under the fire? Can it stand under the fire? We're we're talking about anything that is going to be tested or tried is going to have to experience some incredible heat. It's going to have to have something that is exposed to it that is going to bring out or reveal any potential flaws or things that could cause that thing to break. And so when trials come in our life, they come, really... As a stamp of God's approval they really do they come as a stamp of God's approval because God looks down and he says that's my girl that's my boy and I love him so much and so he allows these and according to Peter it's these trials that are showing that our faith is genuine because what's the enemy after he's after your faith he's coming after your faith he's coming after my faith so we're gonna look tonight for just a few minutes at how we respond to trials and what we do when temptation comes. First Peter chapter five verses six through nine says this. Again, this is same Peter speaking a little further on in his book. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. We should be we should be mindful of that. And at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. And here it is, be strong in your faith. So Peter said earlier, the testing of our faith, it purifies our faith. Here here Peter is telling us we have to be strong in our faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kinds of suffering that you are. So how do we become strong in our faith? I mean, Peter is saying here, we've we, we, we got to be aware of the enemy out there, and we've got to become strong in our faith. And he says it right in the beginning. The, the way that we're going to become strong in our faith is proper posturing. Peter says, humble yourself. Humble, it, it, this is part of the rules of engagement. If we are going to engage the enemy, it's going to come through humility. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And then it goes on to say this. After you've humbled yourself and after you've postured yourself in such a way, then I want you to stay alert because the enemy is out there looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. After you've humbled yourself, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. So part of the rules of engagement is proper posturing. We have to posture ourselves. It it means that we are not the bully. I, I hate bullies. I hate bullies, people that they go out and they pick on people because they feel like they have an advantage over them. The enemy is the bully. But unfortunately, there are Christians that try to act like bullies when it comes to spiritual warfare. That is not biblical. You don't need to go out and pick a fight with the devil. Why? Why would we do that? There's nothing in the Bible that says go and, go and look for a demon, go look for the devil and pick a fight with him. It says stay alert. And then when he comes prowling around looking to pick a fight for you, then you, then you engage in the proper rules of engagement, which start with humility. And it start, at the, re, the way that we're going to grow and understand humility is that when the trials come our way, that are God-ordained, that we understand them and we walk through them. So I'm going to talk first about how we respond to trials, and then we're going to look at temptations. First one is this, how do I respond to trials the question. Number one is this, expect them. All faith is tested. Say all faith. Say it again. All faith is tested. So how do I respond when trials come? I have to expect that they're going to come. I can't sneak around hoping that if I'm quiet enough, they're they're not going to come my way. We have to expect that trials are going to come. Why? Because the Bible says they're going to come. If we don't understand that trials come from god we can posture ourselves in such a way instead of posturing ourselves with humility we posture ourselves like we're being picked on god you just must you just must not like me i know none of you've ever said this god you just must be mad at me god i you must just be busy answering other people's prayers because it just doesn't seem like you care about mine. God, I'm not sure what's going on, but I don't understand it. At all. And God is just saying, you just need to understand the rules of engagement. I'm sending trials your way because I love you. And I'm purifying your faith. Because when, you, when, you, you, when the time comes and the enemy does come and he prowls around, that's when you need to stay strong and stand strong in your faith. So that recon training that I signed up for, as an ignorant 19-year-old, lasted two days. And it was the most horrible thing I can ever imagine. All I remember is that I had a number painted on my skin. Shorts and jungle boots, that's all we wore for two days. We're in Hawaii, so it's warm. Uh, But that's it, and you got a number spray-painted on your chest and on your back. Jeeps following you everywhere, and graders, and they're scoring, and all this, and you're not sleeping. It's just a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. Training is over and uh, they t- say who made it and who didn't make it and uh, then I get deployed for six months and I'm on a ship for six months and battalion commander said to me, when you get back from your deployment, you come back and you see us and you're, you're in the battalion, you're in the recon battalion So I th- because I hadn't gotten into the battalion, just went through the training. Come back from the six-month deployment, show up at uh, Recon Battalion, and they had a, another battalion commander. And uh, had all my paperwork. They had all the paperwork, showed that I had gone through this and that I had passed it. And uh, battalion commander says to me, that's not good enough for me. I didn't see you pass it. He was not the battalion commander there. The battalion commander had moved on. So he said, you want to be a... You wanna be a In recon with me, you got to go through the training again. And I just turned around and walked away. wasn't going to do it. It was too much. I just could not. I could not. I could not put myself through that again. It was just too much for me. But as I look back on it, I was mad at the time. And uh, I thought, what in the world? I passed this the first time. And you're not going to let me do this? So I'm still a Marine, and I'm still an infantry Marine, but... As I think back on it later, I think the wisdom of that battalion commander was that I hadn't proven myself to him. And he had a responsibility to all the other men in that battalion. And I hadn't proven myself to him. And he had a responsibility to care for those men under his command because they were going to be behind enemy lines. And, And the trials that come our way, come our way because our commander in chief, King Jesus, wants us readied. And, and so we, we need to learn to live in such a way that we expect trials to come. When you know something rough is going to come, you handle it different than when you don't. My whole mindset for those two days was, this is going to be a bad two days. I am not going to have any fun. I'm not going to enjoy any of this. I'm not going to sleep. I'm not going to eat. I'm going to get yelled at. And it is not going to be a fun experience. So I had my mind wrapped around the reality of that. And as a result of that, it changes your focus. And, and so when we expect trials, it changes our focus. Listen to what James says in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Okay, James. Whatever you say. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, there's that faith thing again, there's that thing the enemy's coming after. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. So we're expecting them. Why? Not because God's mad at us. Not because he wants to play with us. Not because he's the the big brother that wants to pick on the little brother. But because it's going to develop our perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So we've got to expect them. Expect that trials are going to come. Expect that God's going to send them. Because we're going to have to get and understand the rules of engagement, know what it means to be behind enemy lines. Here's what I've learned about trials. They don't come wrapped in pretty bows and packages, right? They don't come at the right time. They don't come at Christmas time. When you're expecting the presents, they don't come at your birthday. When you're expecting the presents, they don't come wrapped when you're expecting them. They come when you least expect them and you certainly least want to experience them. Would you agree? I have never said this is the perfect time, God, for a trial in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for the perfect. I wish I could tell you I'm spiritual enough to say that. I usually, the first response is, are you kidding me, Lord? Really? I, I, this is, God, do you know my schedule? Do you know what my week's like? Do you, know what my, do you know where I'm at? Do you know how I'm feeling today? Do you know how my week has been? Do you I know how my year? Do you know how my life has been? How many of you have ever had those conversations? Thank you. You know, some of my pastor friends preach their messages to themselves before they preach. And they've just, that's the discipline that they've learned. Uh, I never, I never, uh, I never learned that discipline. I never, I've never done that. And this thought hit me <clears throat> the other day. I'm just going to tell them myself. Can I tell them myself? So my friends, they will actually preach their 35 or 40 minute message, whatever it is, to their washing machine or whatever, their water heater or whatever, and they'll preach the message and then the, that later that day or the next day, they'll get up and then they'll preach the message. And I thought to myself, that sounds like a good discipline. Why have you not done that, Blake? I've, I really asked my question, myself that question. Here's what I came... I don't like to hear myself. I, I really, that's what I came... I don't like to hear myself. I just don't like to hear my own voice, so i got to do it once or twice, however many times i got to teach it, but I don't want to just do it to myself because then I have to listen to my own voice. But here's the amazing thing about God. He loves your voice. He loves your voice. So even if you're crabbing at him and saying, God, I just don't think this is the best time for this trial in my life, he's not plugging his ears. Because he likes your voice. Because he loves you. And he knows that even if you don't understand it, he wants you to teach yourself and discipline yourself to understand that you better start expecting them. Discernment is the ability to detect, recognize, or perceive beyond what is said or seen. It is the ability to read between the lines. We need discernment. If we are going to understand spiritual warfare, if we're going to understand the rules of engagement, if we're going to understand what it means to get behind enemy lines, we need discernment, which is the ability to detect, recognize, or perceive beyond what is said or seen. It is the ability to read between the lines. So what are you going to do with trials, number one? Tell me what you're going to do. Say it again. Say it to the person next to you. Say, expect trials. Come on, help me out here. Not everybody is talking. Say, expect trials. Expect trials. Okay, and James says consider it pure joy. Maybe you're not there yet, but that's what he says. Number two, embrace them. There's wisdom to be obtained. It's one thing to expect them. Excuse me, I did it. I'm trying to remember. Embrace them because there's wisdom to be obtained. It's one thing to say I'm expecting trials, but what what does it look like to embrace a trial? What does that look like? You know, Jesus spoke about those that let everybody know that they're fasting by the way they look, right? You walk around and your head's down and uh, you don't look like you even know Jesus, let alone love Jesus. And and, uh, somebody says, what's going on in your life? Oh, I'm just going through a trial. Somebody that doesn't know Jesus. Oh, I'm just, somebody, well, I'm just going through a trial. And you make it look like God's just ringing you out. But, but what does that look like to embrace a trial? James says, if you lack wisdom, you should ask God. He's going to give it generously to you without finding fault. That's how you embrace something. God, give me wisdom. Give me the wisdom. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not think they will receive anything from the Lord. They're double-minded and unstable in all they do. So so you embrace it by saying, God, give me wisdom. So you not only expect it, but you embrace it. God, would you give me wisdom? Give me wisdom to walk through this trial the right way. Give me wisdom to understand that this is a trial. And trials come, according to your word, to do certain things. They're going to refine and purify my faith. They're going to make me strong in my faith. The enemy's after my faith. Why do you think he was after Jesus? Hey, if you'll bow down, I'll give you some bread to eat. If you'll worship me I'll give you this mountain I'll just just worship me he was after he was after what Jesus had if the enemy was after what Jesus had and you have what Jesus had then he's after what you have right i mean that's just that's that's good theology he's after what you have so we've got to expect trials but then we've got to embrace them and when we embrace them it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that we necessarily have to throw a party I can't think of one time in my life where I threw a party because of a trial. But I better learn to win the battle between my ears. Because if I don't learn to win the battle between my ears, then what I do is I drop down my guard and I let the enemy get in. And, and then the enemy gets in and he starts just doing a number on us. And, and then the whispers and the lies and who do you think you are, Blake? And you're past your prime and your days, your better days are behind you. And whatever those things are that the enemy is, is throwing at you. So there's wisdom. When you embrace a trial, there's a nugget of wisdom. There's a gold nugget of wisdom to be found in the trial. And then the third thing that we have to do when the trials come our way is we have to employ them. What does that mean when you employ somebody? You put them to work, right? Employ those trials. When you do, they'll be rewarded. In other words, words, when you've gone through something in life, then let it work for you, right? I mean, you hire somebody and you hire them because you want them to work for you. You're going to hire them to do a job. You need something done, and you're going to hire them to do the job. When you go through a trial, then employ it. Here's what James says. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those that love him. There, there's so much that we learn when we look in the rearview mirror, right? Right? You know, when we're going through a trial, we think it's unfair, we think it's unwarranted, we think, God, the timing is not right, all of those kinds of things. But then when we look in the rearview mirror, we think, wow, actually, God, you knew what you were doing, and that was pretty pretty good timing. And and I remember, and I just said that, I remember after being so disappointed with that training, thinking, God, that was a metaphor for me. God just was not going to do that. I don't know you enough. I'm not going to put other people in harm's way when I've not seen you tested. I've seen them tested. I've not seen you tested. So I'm not going to put them in harm's way. Could it be the part of the reason that you go through trials is because there's others that the enemy wants you to be looking out for? And so you've employed these trials that you've gone through so those that are younger or weaker in the faith Those that are not as far along as you are, you can point out things to them and you can encourage them and you can help build them up in their faith. Because after all, who's the enemy after? He's after the weakest and the most vulnerable of us. That's who he's coming after. So when I go through a trial, I can say, now this thing is going to work for me. Now it works for me. Now it's employed by me. I worked it out and I worked through it, but now it's employed by me. Because I've persevered under the trial. So, so there's this posture of humility. But then there's this understanding also of perseverance. Sometimes doesn't it seem like the trial just goes on too long? It just seems like, man, this has been a two-year trial, a four-year trial, a seven-year trial, 10-year trial, 20-year trial. Probably some in here that have gone through trials that have lasted a decade, maybe longer than that. I wish I could tell you I have all the answers. I do not have all the answers. But I do know that God is faithful. And I know if we have an understanding of what the Bible says about trials, that they work for us and they work to benefit our lives. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 says this, when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best <clears throat> to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Here it is again. The enemy's after that. So that no one would be unsettled by the trials. You know quite well that you were destined for them. Destined for what? Trials. Destined. How how do you like to wrap your brain around part of your destiny is trials? That's what the Bible says. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you, That you would be and we would be persecuted. And it turned out this way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter... Who's the tempter? It's the devil. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. So, so here the writers just describe I couldn't stand it any longer. I had to send Timothy to you. I, I had to get Tim- Timothy in your midst because I just had this sense that you're unsettled by the trials, that they're not only unsettling you, the trials are not only unsettling you, but then in the midst of the unsettling that comes from the trials comes the tempter, who on the heels of a trial, when would be the best time to try to get us with temptation? right in a trial or right at the end of a trial. That's why these things have to be understood. They, a trial and temptation have to be understood because sometimes they're, they're opposite sides of the train track and you don't even know which side you're on. But, but here he's saying, I couldn't stand it any longer. I sent to find out about your faith because I was afraid in some way that the tempter might have tempted you and that our efforts might have been useless. So the, the trials we want to the best that we can celebrate them understanding what does it mean to celebrate something when you're going through it i think it's different for all of us but celebrate it in the fact that we know that it comes because god has ordained it but i think and the reason i have this scripture here in 1st Thessalonians is because i want to follow up what the writer here says i couldn't stand it any longer and i was afraid of what the tempter had done and that our efforts had been useless For a pastor, for somebody who has the privilege and the honor of working among God's sheep, who I'm one of them as well, one of the most tragic things is when you see the enemy come in and and destroy lives, and you know it's the enemy, and you know the enemy has gotten in and he's destroyed a relationship or he's destroyed a life, and, and he's done it through whatever means, and it comes by way of temptation. The vehicle of temptation comes in. And so I want us now to look at what do we do when the temptations come? So we've looked at the trials. Here's what we do with the trials. We expect them, we embrace them, and we employ them. But what do we do with the temptations? Here's the definition of temptation. The act of tempting, enticement or allurement. Temptation is to be understood as relating to the state of mind between the moment of first entrance of a sinful thought and the actual commission of the evil. And I wrote this on my outline. Just as the wrong reaction to trials will obstruct spiritual growth and maturity, so will a wrong response to temptation. Let me say it again. Just as a wrong reaction to trials will obstruct spiritual growth and maturity, so will a wrong response to temptation. So, what should we learn about temptation? And again, it's in the same chapter, the book of James, James chapter, chapter 1. First thing is, number one is this, recognize it. And recognize that it is not from God. Temptation is not from God. Trials are from God. Temptation is not from God. James 1.13 says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So, first thing that we have to learn to do, and again, it's a, it's a discernment thing. The ability to detect or recognize or perceive beyond what is said or seen, it is the ability to read between the lines. Satan was trying to tempt Jesus, and he recognized it, and he said, get behind me, get behind me, get behind me. That's the rule of engagement when the temptation comes. Get behind me, get behind me, get behind me. You're not going to say get behind me unless you recognize it. You're you're not supposed to say get behind me to a trial. You're supposed to expect it and embrace it and employ it. But when a temptation comes, you have to say get behind me. And the only way you can say get behind me is if you recognize it. So we have to learn to recognize the difference between trials and temptations. And I, I I think the simplest answer is that it's a process. It's a process. A trial is meant to strengthen you and develop you. We read that in the beginning. A temptation is meant to destroy you. It's as simple as that. If something comes and its ultimate objective is to destroy you, then it's probably a temptation. But again, we've got to take enough time to discern and and understand the rules of engagement. Understand what does the Bible say? So we know what the Bible says about trials. We just read about it. So, with temptation, we have to recognize that the next thing we have to do is we have to resist it. When temptation comes, we have to resist it because it comes, according to James, from evil desires. Here's what James says Each person when tempt, is tempted when they are dragged away and enticed by their own evil desire. I said this a few minutes ago, and I said it three weeks ago that magic kingdom. When you take somebody to Disneyland, or Magic Mountain, or one of those theme parks where everything, they don't know how much it costs. The kids don't know. Mom and dad are just forking out the money and forking out the money, and the kid buys the sucker as big as his head. I had a sucker as big as my head. I never forget it. First time I went to Disneyland, you come home with a sucker that big and it takes you two weeks to eat it. You'd brought your teeth out of your mouth and you go to this place and there's the cotton candy and there's the candy and then there's the ride and then there's the prince and there's the princess and there's the queen and there's the parade and, and it's all this magic kingdom. And, and if the enemy can seduce us and help us, help us, not to recognize what temptation is, not to resist it, then what we do is we get seduced into the magic kingdom. And we get seduced into living there thinking this is reality. I can have what I want when I want it. Nobody can tell me what I can't do. I'm a free person. I can do whatever I want. Who do you think you are? I'm a grown person. We live in an entitled society today. We live in a world today where people think they're entitled to everything. Where in the world do you find that? They think they're entitled to everything. I don't want to work, but I want you to support me. Really? I have a problem with that. I have a big problem with that, but, but we live and we've created a world and a culture where if I want to do it, I'm going to do it, and if I want the government to take care of me, then the government's going to take care of me. If I want to indulge and I want to overindulge, then I'm going to overindulge, and what, what has happened is the world has been seduced by the temptations of the enemy to go through the gates of the magic kingdom and never leave. I'm just going to live in the magic kingdom for the rest of my life because this is the place of fantasy and fiction. I don't have to deal with reality in this place. Everything's a party. Everything's a parade. Everything's sweets and sugars and hot dogs and corn dogs and all the funnel cakes and all the things that I like. And the enemy just sits back and he says, I got them right where I want them. I have them right where I want them. They're just eating out of my hand. And, it, and it's really the world that we live in. And, and again, just understanding the rules of engagement. We have authority and we need to walk in that authority. And then when the enemy who's prowling around like a roaring lion comes on the scene because the trials have come and they've developed us and they've strengthened us, then we confront the trial. Or we, can, we go through the trial, but then we can confront the temptation. We can stand strong and we can stand strong by first recognizing it, but then resisting it. And resisting it and resisting it. The enemy didn't try once with Jesus. didn't try twice. tried three times in one encounter. I mean, he's persistent. The enemy is persistent in our lives, and he's going to be persistent in your life. And he's going to try to wear you down and wear you down and wear you down and wear you down. I'm always trying to encourage people to get the right kind of rest, the right kind of balance with rest. And I've got I to take those scriptures for myself, too. Rest, recover, do the things that you need to do to to be on point and engaged and know what it takes to to live in a world where we are constantly in a state of battle. I mean, I can't imagine living in a war-torn country where bombs and bullets are flying all the time. It's It's horrible to even imagine that. But in the spirit realm, that is happening all the time. We don't hear it going off, but it's happening all the time. And when we understand the rules of engagement, we just live life glorifying God, honoring God. When the trials come, we saddle them up, and we walk them out, and we carry them as long as we got to carry them, and we deal with them as long as we got to deal with them, and then God has a way of taking them off. God will take the trials off. And then we keep walking, and then when the temptation comes, we recognize it. No, that is not from God, and I'm going to resist it. I wrote this on my outlines, not on yours. Temptation thrives where well-rooted idolatry exists. Temptation thrives where well-rooted idolatry exists. Idol is just something that we worship, something that we've just given way too much attention to, something that uh, we have given the wrong place in our lives, and, and that's where temptation thrives, where there's idolatry. Whatever that is. Laziness. Whatever it is. We give it in, give into that. We're seduced by that. Whatever that looks like. And, and and so when those things come, we gotta like Jesus did, resist, resist, resist. And the Bible says the enemy fled. And he left. I'm sure he came back. I'm sure he came back more than once. And here's what we need to remember. We started with that scripture. There's an inheritance. And it's up there and it's waiting for us. But in the meantime, in the meantime, we're we're engaged in combat, and oftentimes we're behind enemy lines. And because we're behind enemy lines, we have to be paying attention all the time. And then number three, with temptation, we have to overcome it. If we don't overcome it, it will give birth to sin. I said two weeks ago when I was here, your mind is like a womb. Paul says, capture every thought and make it obedient to Christ. If you don't, your mind is like a womb. And a thought gets planted in your mind, and eventually that thought will give birth to a behavior. It is a living, producing machine. And your mind is going to give birth to something. And and so when the temptation comes, if we don't recognize it, resist it, and overcome it, and a wrong thought plants in our mind... That's why you have a world living like, you see things on TV today, and you read about things, and you think, are you, I can't, it's hard to even conceive that people are thinking that way. How could you think that way? Well, if a thought got planted in your mind when you were little, and you were entitled, and that thing kept growing and growing and growing, pretty soon it consumes your whole thought life. And now you live like you're entitled, and you think you're right. Why? Because it's consumed your whole thought life, and you live in the magic kingdom where everything is how you want it to be. You remember in Genesis when Cain killed his brother Abel and Cain was fussing, came to God and said, let me tell you something, sin is crouching. Genesis, first book of the Bible, sin is crouching and it's waiting to get you. said that to him. And, and 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 it's it's true about the temptations of the enemy, just waiting to just pounce on us. James says, <clears throat> following verse fourteen. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. There's that whole concept of of something being birthed in our lives. First Corinthians chapter ten verse thirteen, Paul says. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. God is faithful. He will not allow you, He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Sometimes it feels like it. When you are tempted, not if, when you are tempted, He will show you a way out so you can endure. So there's a way of escape, there's an exit door. There's an exit door out of the temptation. But if we don't recognize it, we don't resist it, and we don't ever overcome it, then we're going to be seduced by it. So let me just close with this scripture. Leah, Annie, we come back up. Close with this first scripture. Back to your first page. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is because of his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. We have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you. So that faith, that thing the enemy is coming after, is what God is using to protect you. God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring, it will bring praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus is revealed. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.